Hey, we're in Luke 6, and we're going to talk about the blessed life today. And, and this is kind of fun. I really love this. It's, it's Jesus' second sermon. And so we're, we'll just dive in on verse 17 of Luke 6. He went down with them, stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, or Tyre and Sidon, however you want to pronounce that. Verse 18, who had come to hear him, to be healed of their diseases, and those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him to heal them all. Now, I'm going to pause right there. We'll go on to verse 20 in a second. But this is some exciting material, and, and I just want to give it some context so we grasp the moment. Um, we, you know, you're looking at Luke 6 here. It was in Luke 4 when Jesus got up and read Isaiah. That was his first sermon that was recorded by Luke. Uh, Luke goes into this, uh, this moment, and he doesn't write the book chronologically. Luke he is giving an account so that we know for certain that Jesus is the Son of God. And what he's going to do is he's going to take moments in Jesus' life, and he's going to lay them out throughout Luke in order to which make most transitional sense. Does that make sense? Uh, also, when, when you're reading Luke or Matthew or these, these different gospel books, realize we're getting the Cliff Notes version of what actually happened, right? They tried to write every single word, every single deal. So, where Luke records four blessings in a second that we'll read, Matthew records nine in his Beatitudes recording, where it's called like the Sermon on the Plain in Luke, like that's kind of how they highlight it if you, depending on which Bible version you're using. In Matthew, they would call it the Sermon on the Mount. So, I decided to call this part of our series Sermon on the Mount, even though we're studying Luke. Because Jesus in Luke 6, 1 through 12 that we looked at last week, he went up to a mountainside to pray and be with God before he selected 12 apostles out of the many disciples that he had with him. And so, you could see how he came down from the mountainside to a plateau, if you would, which to everyone else would still be on the mountain. And began to teach. And so, to his surprise, there's a bunch of people there. And so, who are these people that came from all of these cities? And what was the context? It's kind of hard for us probably to relate to. But these people are from towns and, and villages that are not big at all. Fifty people. Like major city, 100 people. These made, like Ording looked like a big city right? It was like they, these were just really, really small, like Carbonado would be happening in this day. Like, oh, man, it's, what are we going to do? It's Friday. Let's go to Carbonado. You know, it's like that's kind of hop on your camel, bro. So, it's just that deal. That's where we are at. They're coming from all these small, really impoverished areas. They are poor. They're not well off. They're common. 
They're not rich, wealthy people, and they're gathering together with needs. So to come together, for all of them, a great crowd to be there when Jesus came down from, you know, calling and appointing and choosing these apostles and disciples, when they came down to this plateau and found all these people, these people shut down their towns to make it there. They may have given up months of income to get there because maybe they had a sick child. Maybe they had a child who was struggling with what they presumed could be demonic possession. And Jesus healed them all. And it became like this crazy mob crowd, right? They're all trying to touch him because they're realizing, man, there's power like literally coming through this guy to heal us. And so they're, it's like, you imagine if you try to do one of those zombie runs and there's all these. Yesterday we went to the Buckley Parade and they had like the haunt, uh, haunted house like trailer in the Creepers. And, you know, here's the kids like Preston's freaking out getting behind us because there's this guy dragging like an axe down the road, you know. <laughs> you know, but imagine what it'd be like. It's creepy enough when they're all dressed up like a dead person doing that. But when like there's like normal people coming and reaching out to you to touch you, it'd still kind of be that a little bit intense, right? Well, that's the moment Jesus is in when he turns to his disciples in verse 20 and begins to teach them, right? There's this massive crowd. There's this massive moment of, whoa, these people came from everywhere, and here we are. It's interesting. There's a debate about this passage as I read more and more and studied more and more on it. There's, there's all these people who are like, is this a list of rules that we have to live by to be saved? Or is this instruction to the disciples to encourage them, comfort them, say, man, this is, you, you're, you're living a life now that a selfless way to go. You're poor in spirit. You're humble. You're compassion-filled. This is your reward and obviously, in a moment, we'll realize he says he turns to his disciples, both in Luke and in Matthew in this recording. And so it was not an instruction for those who came to be helped or need Jesus. It was an instruction to those who had already discovered the Son of Man, Jesus. He's turning to his disciples, and he's encouraging them. He's building them up. And so... Uh, I don't know why it's a debate. Honestly, as I studied more and more, I'm like, people just look for things to debate. you got to be kidding me, right? This is, pretty, this is pretty obvious. But it's interesting to at least know that because it helps us understand these instructions. Some translations, you know, you have different ways of translating the Bible, and this may be helpful to you because if you're like me, you'd go, well, why does Luke say it this way and Matthew says it this way? We're going to read both here in just a second. Well, it's because Luke is a doctor. He's going to want to say it after interviewing everybody about the occurrence. He's going to want to say it as word-for-word word accurate as Jesus said it. Where Matthew is going to want to say it as it was intended. He wants to capture the emotion as well as what was said. And so he's going to throw things in there that will actually help us interpret the passage in a moment. 
Some translations, instead of saying blessed, actually would say, happy are you. And then we all go into the happy song, right? And so we can do that after we're done reading this. But I think blessed is a great translation because God is the only one who can bless us. Blessed are we if, right? And so jump into verse 20. Now we're back in here. Luke 6, 20 says, looking at his disciples, no more debate, right? He's talking to his disciples. He said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, you'll laugh. Isn't that simple? You'll laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Right? So, so here's this segment of a message that was probably crazy long. We're going to look at pieces of it, right? But in reality, in reality, in the Sermon of the Mount, it was probably hours of teaching. These people came from cities, gave up their income for a day. Jesus isn't going to give them well, got to be, let's see, uh, janitor needs to be out of here by 12.15, got to tear everything down. Okay, we're going to clock out at noon here, right? 20 minutes. You ready? Thanks for coming hundreds of miles. I'm going to share a little ditty with you, right? So that's not, so he sat there and he instructed. This was a conference. This was a moment that he taught and taught and taught and taught and taught. And again, what we get are the, the Bible versions of cliff notes of Jesus' sermons, we get the main points. Luke has a pattern. And we'll discover it as we walk through this book. As, as he teaches more and more, Jesus does. Luke loves to grab four points. Like where most preachers today preach on three-point sermons, Luke preaches four-point sermons. He's like, well, man, this has got to be simple. It's got to be uncomplicated. I'm going to back this down. I'm going to back this down to the main four. Right? And so he teaches four points. And he gives us both blessings and woes. Where Matthew's like, I'm giving them all nine. They get the full meal deal, baby. Right? So that's just kind of the, that's the difference. I want to help you understand this because sometimes you would go, well, there's something wrong because, like, Matthew teaches a different message and he doesn't woe anybody. You know? They're looking at the same moment from different perspectives with different tendencies in there. Being obedient to God and writing down what occurred. I don't know why my fake voice always goes to this one. I need to pick a different one nowadays, but this one is just a real easy one to jump into. So, moving on in Matthew. Matthew 5, 1 through 12 reads like this. The funny thing is, and I've told you this before, when I 
actually go through my message, which I usually do last night and then this morning. I kind of walk through it, interrupted by gunfire today. It was awesome. But anyway, when I'm walking through it and I'm kind of trying to say it out loud to make sure that these thadisms I throw in actually make sense, and uh, they don't in the group outlines, but they do inside my message. Anyway, but I'm sitting here and I'm trying to, uh, you know, say it out loud. In my mind, I hear Brian Houston. It's for real. It's just, I don't know why that is. When, I'm, when I am walking through my message, I'm like, oh, I have an Australian accent, and it's bold, and I'm like, Matthew says, you know, and it just doesn't come out that way when I preach. I've got a squeakier voice, and then I default to a fake voice of like this, you know, so I don't know what's going on. need to work on my depth. When he saw the crowds, Matthew 5, 1, he went up on a mountainside, and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. See, he kind of gave it context. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed do those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hear the addition there? For they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I've got four blessings to look at, and I want to word them in a way that I think makes a lot of sense when you consider both Luke and Matthew. The first is, blessed are the truly wealthy. Blessed are the truly wealthy. So remember, Luke says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, and and, and Matthew's like, blessed are the poor in spirit. See, this is not speaking of monetary standards. Although he has a crowd that is probably impoverished, right, and, and they gave up their wages and they're suffering to come and have their kids and loved ones healed, he's teaching the disciples. And he's teaching them about their spirit, like their walk with the Lord. Blessed are those who follow me because you've humbled yourselves and given up everything to do it. That's what he's telling them. The Bible talks about the injustice of poverty a lot. And it also speaks to those who are poor because of laziness. And it's not in a positive way. So he's not saying, be, just don't work. If you're a Christian, you got to be poor and you've got to forever, like, you know, not make any money and wear torn clothes, smell just a little. Wait a second. Was that the Buckley Parade that I'm just going to? No, I'm just kidding. It was awesome, though. It was kind of fun. Um, so you're just like, you know, it's not that moment. It is what's being spoken of here is clearly poor in spirit or a humble in spiritual entitlement. Let me just say it that way. Humble in spiritual entitlement. 
not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. We know what rich in religion looks like. We know what it looks like, especially because we see it before the fall, right? We see what prideful Christianity looks like, or faith in that matter, of any sort. And the example, unfortunately, of those who are kind of snooty and they look down their nose and they're more righteous than thou, that's not being poor in spirit. It's being haughty. That's being puffed up. And that's not the goal. Jesus is saying, no, be truly wealthy. And the way you do that is through humility. When you and I are humble servants of others, Jesus is opening our eyes to the potential of the kingdom. It's when we serve others that we become truly wealthy. And even now, the reason it feels so good to do good is we get this little glimpse of God's reign and rule when we just do something right and put our priorities on the back burner for the sake of someone's need. You can have every dollar on the planet and be truly spiritually bankrupt and miserable. But God's showing us, man, this is how you could be completely wealthy in your life. So the question is, how do we increase our spiritual wealth? And I believe it's in service. It's in considering others above ourselves. That's why we have this whole segment of teaching in Philippians 2, but I'll just share Philippians 2, 3 that says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. If that's your mindset, if your mindset is, I don't deserve to cut in line. If your mindset is, I don't deserve first class. If your mindset is, I will let somebody else go before me. I'll open the door for them even though I want to get in line first. If your mindset is that, you begin to serve others. When you consider others better than yourselves, more deserving than you, you begin to serve and truly you discover what life wealth is all about. It's about the relationships of those that you serve. It's about watching them flourish because you just took a moment and allowed them to go first. The joy of life comes from the relationships forged around moments of service to one another. When you hear from somebody that you served or when you see something that became possible because you laid down your life to begin the process. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but it's that feeling of when I got a call from a church down in Sumner saying, yeah, you guys do that school supply, like give to Liberty Ridge Elementary, and we're thinking about taking on Daffodil Elementary, which is the other highest impoverished school in our Sumner School District. And, and, and they're like, we're thinking of providing 100% of the school supplies for that campus. Can you tell us how you did it? I was like, I'll give you all the files. Here you go. Really? Yeah, here you are. Oh, my word. Okay. I think we can do this. I was like, I encourage you to. And they're like, we're going to. And you're going, that only became possible because we dared to say yes. We had that why not mindset. By serving, we've forged a way to live truly wealthy. And we have no financial investment in that moment. But spiritually, we get a glimpse of heaven. So the next thing, blessed are you who hunger now 
for you'll be satisfied. What is this? It says in Matthew, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So, number two, blessed are those with an appetite for Jesus. With an appetite for Jesus. Do you ever have those days? Usually it's when I get like a notification. I should turn those off, but for trappers. You know, and they'll send like discount, $2 off, like $50,000 for all you can eat sushi. And I know the pain it would cause me if I go there and eat the all you can eat. Because you feel bad if you only have a couple rolls. Anyway, so, but then the rice just, ah, it's like, oh, help me. But anyway, uh, this moment of just realizing we need an appetite. We need a hunger and a thirst for Jesus' mission, for his righteousness. This is a spiritual hunger. Though the crowd may be literally poor and hungry that was there overhearing this teaching to Jesus' disciples, his instruction was not about physical hunger or thirst at all. It was about spiritual longing again. So he's talking about being poor in spirit. Now he's talking about being like spiritually craving. And he's going, oh man, you've got a hunger and you've got a thirst. You've got to like get interrupted all the time and just go, I want a little more of this. I want to get addicted to this food. And I do think sushi has something in it that's addicting. I have no idea why. It just happens. And it was like they couldn't get enough. Another healing, and they wanted another healing. You know, the disciples were there, and they're like, another demon out? Do another, Jesus. Do another. Can you just imagine what it would be like to be there? And they're like, yeah, the whole crowd, everybody? Oh, let somebody else touch you, Jesus. That was awesome. That's what we have here. That is so cool. I want to see that again. Like his arm just straightened out. That freaked me out. Do it again. You know, it's kind of like that moment. You can't get enough. I'm calling in Jesus' number. I'm keeping you on. I'm voting for Jesus. Reality television. That's what it'd be like today. Should we keep Jesus? There's that voice again. Shoot. Should we keep Jesus? I don't know. Or should we not? See, my voice goes away if I talk like Brian too long. Here we go. Last night, I was actually in pain before bed. I was still full when I woke up, I'll admit. Two reasons. One, they had a Fisher Scone booth at the, <laughs> at the Buckley Log show and got a baker's dozen, so that's awesome. And then Dana made ribs last night and, uh, you know, just like there's so much salt and so much stuff in that, you know. I was so thirsty afterwards. There was the spices, barbecue sauce. I was so thirsty. Do you ever get in that mode at night where you're just like, you know, and I'm so thankful we have like the refrigerator push water thing. We live at rough, suburbial problems, right? But I'm like, I'm like, you know, and I'm like, maybe if it's colder, it'll be more satisfying. So another glass. I, by the end of the night, I must have drank like 10 cups. So I was so thirsty. I just couldn't quench my thirst. And do we ever get like that for Jesus? What gets us like that for Jesus? I began to process it because I was sitting there reviewing the talk and I was going, oh my goodness. Like if I'm stuffed is usually when I get that way, especially if I ate something too salty. And, I'm going, and I was pretty full. And I didn't eat that much. I didn't, you know, okay, gluttony is a sin. Let's just ask for forgiveness, Lord, forgive me. But no, so you're sitting there in that moment, you know, and you're going, I, I started to correlate and go, man, what if I would fill myself up on the Word of God every day? 
Maybe I'd be more thirsty for it to come about in real life. What if I would pray more to where I'm like full of the presence of God? Maybe my spiritual thirst would even be more present. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of interesting when you just say, how do I stir up my spiritual hunger and thirst? Because if I do, like I'll be truly fulfilled. If I in any way, shape, or form, and if I'm unsatisfied with my spiritual growth, if I'm unsatisfied with where I'm at and my relationship with Jesus, it means my own consumption somehow needs to change. Maybe I'll want more of Jesus if I serve more and I see more people in need and I become more determined that the answer to their problem is Jesus. Maybe I'll pray with eyes that see instead of eyes that wonder, which leads to our next point. Blessed are you who have spiritual vision. It says, blessed are you who weep now, you will laugh. Blessed are you who, who weep now, you'll laugh. Pretty simple, pretty uncomplicated, right? The needs of our world should at times break us. Now, we never cry here at Open Life. Just joking. It's so funny because oftentimes we get up here and start to talk, and it doesn't matter who it is. It could be like somebody who's never talked before, and they get up here and they get emotional. I laugh at it. It's kind of hilarious, actually. But I, I look at that, and it's just that tender heart, that compassion is what Jesus is trying to communicate to His disciple. Because compassion, true compassion spurs action. Like if we just can feel the needs of our community, then we can't live with ourselves if we do nothing. We've got to do something. We'll own it. Listen to passages like Luke 10, 23. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, again, Jesus, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Here is value there, the spiritual vision he's training his disciples to have. Later, Luke 19, 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. John eleven thirty five 35 says simply, Jesus wept. Or the psalmist words it like this in Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. In fact, He loves it. He loves it when we get messed up for the world around us, when it messes us up. And so, you know, you have different translations of the Bible some of them go for like word-for-word -word accuracy, kind of like Luke would be that guy. Or some of them, like the NIV, which we mostly read from here, are phrase-for-phrase -phrase accurate, more Matthew-ish in style. And then this dude named Eugene Peterson years ago decided, well, I'm just going to interpret the whole Bible and write this thing called The Message, right? And so he put his message into kind of like a Bible, but it's just an interpretation. But I like the way he words this passage. He says, you're blessed when the tears flow freely. You're blessed 
when the tears flow freely. Now, before I lose all the men in the room, <laughs> already there, dude, I don't cry ever, man. It'd be good for you to, like, you know, I, I just, I look at this and I go, there's, I didn't used to, honestly. But then the more of Jesus I got, the more compassion I felt. And I began to pray prayers like, you know, I didn't, I grew up in a place like a home that didn't raise their hands in worship or anything. You know, so I was one of those. You'd feel that tension. You'd feel that. And then I, I worked my way here. And then I heard this pastor share like he would like praise, you know, be given praise to God. So he would like posture his hands like this. And then if he was ever receiving from God, he would like receive from God. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go for this. One day I was worshiping and I was like, I felt like a rebel. I was like totally passionate. You know, it's like, big time, I'm there, I'm there. I got, almost got past the shoulders, you know. I'm Pentecostal now. And it was that moment where, you know, you're sitting there getting used to this whole hands thing, and it was, it was weird. And then I went to a concert, and everybody's like, I'm like, what? Like, why is it such a big deal to me? But, you know, so I was sitting there, and, uh, and, and having this moment, and I go, you know, I remember this altar time where this, this evangelist came and challenged us to just, put our hands up and say, Jesus, help me see what you see. Break me for the things that break you. Help me love those like you would love them. And from that moment on, I've been messed up for people. When's the last time the needs of the people around you brought you to tears? When was the last time you were so moved with empathy for those in need that you wept for them, that like you would look upon a city and weep? I mean, can you really consider the real story, the genuine story of others and not be moved? I don't know how that's possible when Jesus gets into your heart. Until you learn how to mourn with those who mourn, or love with the depth Jesus loved, this passage says you'll miss out on the fun that's possible. So isn't that kind of a weird thought? Okay, wait. So if I can cry, I can have more fun? I'm a little confused. Well, it's like, you know, the bow and arrow. If you pull back this far, you're going to be able to go farther on the joy side. Jesus is saying if you have a deeper compassion... He simply says, you'll laugh. Like, not, you won't be one of those, <laughs> no, you're going to be one who can gut laugh, and it's okay, you don't care that people make fun of the way you laugh. Okay, every once in a while you might work up a snort, right? This will happen if you're really laughing. You know, and so we have one of our cultures that we have on the black banner back there during the 10-minute party, you'll see, but it says, we have fun. Jesus may have just worded this differently, but the same culture. Maybe if it was Jesus writing that, he would have said, we laugh. It's okay to laugh. In fact, we'll laugh more if we care more. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Honestly, I, I, I cry over the injustice of the way kids are treated sometimes. You know, you hear stories. I sat down and did an interview this week with the principal of Liberty Ridge Elementary that'll go 
online this week for the school supply give and, and another thing that will launch in the fall that is just messed up and awesome. And so uh, it was dangerous. It was a very dangerous time to get us in the same room. But, uh, you know, and you hear the way some students, you know, they don't have somebody in their life, an adult, necessarily much of the day, if at all, during the day. And you start to consider their homes and, and their upbringing, and it's not fair. They didn't choose where they're living. It's all they know. They don't know necessarily it's good or bad, but they miss opportunities that others take for granted, and you just, your heart's moved. That messes me up. I could, I could cry to, to think somebody could go through their whole life and, and never have a hug. They can't remember the time they were ever told from a parent, I love you, or I'm proud of you. And uh, even now, that messes me up. So, um, I get sad over the diagnosis of cancer that people get that just rocks their world. I have a friend who's battling cancer to the extent that he's amputating one of his legs here on the 15th, and, and it just messes me up to know the pain he's going through, and what would you do if you had 15 more days with two legs? I cry over those who are financially stressed. I cry over uh, sin that, that, that just blinds the person addicted to it. And it's just like, help them, God, break out of that. I cry over religious pride, mostly actually this is what bothers me, religious pride that just tears down all the work that those of us who are genuinely investing in people's lives have gained. And some person comes along and just wrecks it all. That really makes me cry, kind of in a mad way. I cried during a new Disney movie on Friday. Pray for me. But anyway, um, so, you know, the, the, then I just cry about dumb stuff like that. But it all started with, it's Jesus' fault. Because I also laughed during the movie. So, final point, blessed are those who endure hate. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Boy, that's sad. He's really evil. I reject his name. <laughs> just, have you ever been told that? I don't think I have, but that'd be crazy. Uh, rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. That'll help you be physical in worship right there. Somebody rejects your name during the week. We know who it is because you're going to come in. Jamie's going to start worship, and you're going to be like, you know, oh, somebody cursed your name this week, huh? You know, it's just like interesting when you really consider these words. Because great is your reward in heaven. I mean, we should be excited when persecuted. We should be excited when somebody, like, judges us too quickly. We live in a world that is more obsessed with their rights than their expected blessing. And I'm speaking of the religious. I'm speaking of those who are Christians who are always posting expletive, expletive, on Facebook because they are like, it's our right to do this, our right to do this, let's protest, let's impeach, let's blah. And when are they really counting this blessing and becoming deeper worshipers? Instead, they're just trying to like be entitled over and over and over again. When will we just love those who are persecuting us? It's a tough teaching, 
But we're supposed to actually be excited when we're persecuted or hated. And in the world we live in, if we say we're a Christian, we're immediately judged as haters. Sorry to tell you. So let's become all Christians today. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I invite you. You know what I'm saying? It's a tough sell, but it's a reality. When we choose to follow Jesus and we begin to follow His teachings and we become strong in our walk and in our beliefs and convictions of what's in the Word, then we will be hated. There will be a time when we have to take a stand for the Word of God over our feelings. And it's not easy on that day. Worship team, you can come up. When this is being written in Luke, the followers of Jesus were being severely persecuted for their faith. So it's interesting to me that Luke is writing in a moment not only what happened and what Jesus was teaching on, but with a huge foreshadowing of the time in which he was actually writing this historical account of Jesus. He understood, oh my word. This is happening now, and Jesus told us about it back then. Well, guess what? It's still happening now. There's people all around the world losing their lives because they chose to follow Jesus. There's people who are being imprisoned, and wrong things are happening to right people. And it happens in our neighborhood. I mean, we are now presumed haters until we prove to love people. That's why we just have to love through the hate. That's my challenge on this point. We've got to love through the hate. We've got to love through the judgment. Our lives will prove us true. Blessed are you who are presumed to be haters, but are the ones judged and excluded for professing Jesus as Lord. Blessed are you when you don't get the party invite because of the righteousness that changed your life. Blessed are you when you don't have all the answers. Blessed are you when you stumble through inviting somebody to church and just make a mess of everything. Blessed are you when you do what Jesus shows you to do, even if it's not the popular way, so that many will know me, Jesus would say. We're obviously not being martyred yet in America. But around the world, we should be inspired by those who give their lives. And there's a reason in those persecuted countries they worship stronger. They've paid a bigger price. I think we should learn what it is to leap and jump in our praise and notice the persecution when it happens around us. It's usually in the form of exclusion, which Jesus pointed out here. But I challenge you to follow Jesus and to stand firm in his love, even when somebody is excluding you because of the fruit of Christ in your life. Just continue to love. God, I thank you for the opportunity you've given us to look at this instruction. What a great sermon you're kicking into here. Encouraging us with blessings and you counter them with woes here. I just thank you for these four thoughts that you gave Luke for us. And I pray that, God, we could be faithful, that we could be more humble. We wouldn't walk around with a spiritual entitlement that stinks up a room, but, Lord, we would just love others in a way that is humble. We would count it pure joy 
when we recognize the reality that maybe we're excluded from something because people know, well, they're just not going to want to be in this environment because they have chosen to follow Jesus. For those who've yet to make that decision to cross into faith or even maybe turn and begin to pursue you, Jesus, I pray that today would be that day that they would find in themselves that longing for more of you, that hunger, that thirst. The first step is just to say, Jesus, come into my life. I want to follow you. And then that diet of your word and prayer and serving and watching that bear fruit of righteousness, laughter, fulfillment. God, challenge us today as we pursue you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.